Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It's a pleasure to be here tonight and to share the word of God with you. Um, tonight we will be speaking about, we will continuing in this area of sanctification. And we will be speaking about prayer and sanctification. Sanctification of the heart. Prayer and sanctification. Sanctification of the heart. Your Maria started beautifully with this road of sanctification, explaining to us you know, how we continue growing, how we follow God. And that is by continuously spending time in the word of God, by taking every thought captive and by serving and spending time in the community of Christ. That is how we grow. That is how we continuously place ourselves in a place where we can be sanctified and we can grow. Then last week, we looked at the goal of sanctification. If we are then called to grow, what's the goal of it? Where do we want to grow to? What does sanctification look like? And we said that we need to become like Christ in both character and ministry. And both of them need to be there. They, they, they mutually, you know, can't exclude one another. They both need to be there. If the character is there, it leads us to the ministry. And if the ministry is there, hopefully it's built upon the character. Otherwise, it won't last. And a lot of hurt and destruction will be caused by it. But we need to grow in those two aspects. And inevitably, if we are following God, we will grow in them. It's not a choice. Why? Because God is doing the work. And he will always do that work. He'll never not be able to do that if we follow him. He's always there to change, to shape, and to align our hearts. That is what God does. And that will happen when we are close to him. When we don't grow, it's because we are not close or we're struggling to receive the work that God wants to do in hearts. And today we're going to continue with that, looking at the area of prayer. Uh, a lovely topic, but before I begin to speak about prayer, let me pray for us before we begin. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for encouragement, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are building your church, Lord. Thank you that we have the privilege of being part of that church, Father. Thank you, Lord, for every single person that calls upon your name with a pure heart, Lord, that draws near, that holds fast to the confession of faith, Lord, that stirs others to love and good works, that joins together with the fellowship, Lord. We love them, Lord. May we grow in love. May we grow in unity. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus for coming to lay down your life and ex explaining everything to us, but also modeling everything to us, Lord. Setting the example, Father. Sharing in our sufferings. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you are empowering the mission, Lord. And that you are shaping and renewing hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to speak about prayer today and we're going to look at a, a context, a kind of a piece of history that plays off in the history of Israel and they go through certain things and God speaks to them about prayer and there's a place where he, they call upon his name and a lot of things is revealed in this passage of scripture and I think, uh, you know, many of us can relate just because we are humans, you know, we tend to do that. The passage of scripture is Jeremiah 29 and I think some of us have at least heard one verse from Jeremiah 29. You know, on some other mug or book, printed, fastgestapled, of who work on my op. The verse is there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It sounds familiar. And to look at where those, that, that scripture actually ties in, what is the context of it? And the context is the Israelites, they in um, 
captivity in exile in Babylon, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar because they moved away from God. They started to worship false idols and they oppressed the poor. And all of those things, um, you know, the same sense of severity for God. He takes all three of those things very, very seriously. The fact that they move away from him, the fact that they worship idols and the fact that they oppress the poor. In fact, it was when they started to oppress the poor where God said, okay, no more. Now I'm going to remove you. This has gone too far. The fruit of people removed from God. Then they're in exile and God wants to do a certain work in their hearts. A prophet arises, a prophet Hananiah, and he says, don't worry, guys, only two years and everything will be back to normal. And God says, no, that's not what I said. And to show you that's true, he will die. In six months' times, he dies. Jeremiah comes and says, no, guys, we'll be here for 70 years. That is what God has said. But don't worry. He wants to do something through this time. It's not a purposeless exile. You know, God doesn't just discipline or say, okay, if I have enough of you, go and sit in the corner. No, there's actually something that God wants to establish. There's certain things that God wants to reveal and grow when he sends these things through our lives. I think we can relate to that in certain senses about the things that we've maybe experienced and went through as well. And this time that the world is going through at the moment as well. And for the Christian to rejoice in that, knowing that there's purpose in the pain. It is not senseless suffering. But God actually wants to come and grow and mold, refine and sanctify. So that what comes out the other end is a faith more pure. A devotion more pure. And a church that looks a little bit more like Jesus. Amen. And then there's also a second part of the story. In Zechariah 13, you can maybe just note that in your books and go and read through that if you have time. But that is the, the, the guys that were in captivity back in Jerusalem about 20 years after that captivity. And surprise, surprise, they're busy doing the same things that led them to be taken captive in the first place. They're again turning away from God. They're again busy pursuing idols. They're again busy oppressing the poor. And when I tell the story to my wife, she says, yeah, that makes sense. That's us. That's humanity for you. Makes sense that we do that. But again, God comes graciously with hard words, but says that he will refine again and that he will bring the people back to himself. But before we dive in, I want to ask us a couple of questions because we'll have three main points tonight. And the first one is that prayer reveals our hearts. The second, that prayer refines our hearts. And the third, that prayer compels our hearts to action. So prayer reveals our hearts, refines our hearts, and compels our hearts to action. But we need to examine our own prayer lives. So I want to ask us the question firstly, why do you pray? If you can just answer that question to yourself. Why do you pray? And for the average Christian in the Western culture, the answer that we get is because God says so. And that's, that's kind of how far it goes, which is a good answer, by the way. Not a bad one at all. But that's kind of how far it goes. I know God expects of me to pray. I also know that it's beneficial to me in some sorts, and, and that's kind of where it stays. And then when people begin to give reasons for prayer, and I'm not saying all of us, I'm just saying that this is what you normally get from the culture, the, the, the Christian culture that we live in. It's so that God can know what I need. Yeah, so that I can inform him of what I need in case he doesn't know. And there is benefit in that and God expects of us to come with our needs to him. Make your request known to God. Scripture says that. He expects us to do that. It's that I can receive peace 
Yes, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts if you pray about everything. That's also true. So that I can live in comfort, that I can accomplish what God has called me to. And, we, and good answers and stuff that scripture expects of us, but all of them more or less man-centered. Man-centered. You know, and very quickly we deduce that the, the goal of prayer is the comfort of man. And that's not the goal of prayer. It's not the aim of prayer. The aim of prayer is not the comfort of man, but the mission of God. God expects of us to partner with him in prayer so that his kingdom can come and so that his will can be done. Part of that is supplying your needs. Part of that is giving us peace. Part of that is fulfilling the things that he has called and spoken of our lives as well. But mainly, it's the purpose of God. And then another question, what do you pray for most? You have to divide your prayer life if you have to write a list and give like a percentage at the end of everything. What do you pray for most? What do you pray for most? Who do you pray for most? Some of us have been praying most for a person we've never met yet. You know, who's with me? A future husband or wife. You with me? What do you pray for most? Another question that we can ask ourselves, in what time of your life, in what circumstance or thing that you went through, when did you pray most? If you reflect back in your life, you look at the circumstances, the things that you went through, when did you pray most? And again, opposite to that, when did you pray least? And then if you have the ability, also ask the question, why? Why did I pray most then? Or why did I pray the least thing? You see, when we answer these questions of the who's, the what, the why's of our prayer life, it reveals our hearts to us. Because these things inevitably are important to us. They shape our lives. They are the things that we focus on. And it also gives us a kind of indication when we ask, when did we pray a lot and when don't we pray a lot? It also gives us an indication of our relation to prayer. What do we think prayer accomplishes? Why is it there? Because I use it then. Very important for us to ask those questions. So as you consider your own prayer life and why you pray, or maybe the lack of a prayer life, that also reveals something of ourselves as well. Unfortunate, but sometimes true for us as human beings. You know, we many times say, uh, this means like in Afrikaans. Well, is there like an English saying for that? Means like. It's human. <laughs> it's human. <laughs> Um, but to realize that if we say that it is human, that human is fallen, sinful, and selfish, except by the grace of God. That's what human is. That is what means like us. Without the grace of God, it does not align with what God expects of us, but it is fallen, sinful, and selfish. Okay, so let's read through this passage and see what we can learn. Jeremiah 29 from verse 1 to 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Yochanai and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Zephah, the son of Gemariah, and the son of Hilkai, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the wealth of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray that the Lord on each behalf, for in each wealthy you will find your wealthy. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to their dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you future and a hope. Then you will call upon, uh, call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And there we see that favorite verse of many people, stick it onto everything, finds its context, in a not so lack of time, not so pleasing time, uh, not good words to hear, a delay in the message. That yes, I know you expect something now. Yes, I know that you want something and desire something now, but it will not come now. But just know, even in the fact that you don't receive what you call out for and that you want now, that the Lord is still good. And that his promises and purpose still stands. And it's still good for us. But when it comes to prayer, we read again, Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13, it says, Then, Lord, when when this purpose is complete, when you've gone through this trial, when you've gone through this exile, then, this will be the result. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that find me, and as in in the Hebrew, you know, if you want to translate it strongly, it's God saying, and I will allow myself to be found by you i will enable you to find me but i'm the one that's enabling this i'm the one that is allowing this i'm the one that's giving you grace to seek me so that i can be found by you declares the lord a very beautiful passage of scripture but then we see the when or if a conditional statement there's something that's going to happen if or when when you seek me with all your heart Now, the New Testament says it like this. The greatest command there is for us as Christians is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything in us. To love God. To seek God. Like we just sang that song. Jesus, we love you. And with everything in us. That is also translated as a pure heart. We read in Hebrews 10 verse 22, just after explaining the high priestly work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it says, let us then draw near with pure hearts. And full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a pure heart. That is an undivided heart. That is a heart that holistically seeks after God. And the beautiful thing there is, he says to these people in exile, you will seek me. You will seek me primarily, my heart and not my hands. Not what I can do for you, but who I am. That is who you will seek. And that is who you will find. There won't be a longing for what I can do for you primarily. But for who I am. And who I can be for you. That is what you will seek. And that is a pure heart. 
And by definition, then we have to conclude, if God says that you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart, then we can also see God with only some of our heart, a certain piece of it, a certain area that wants relief, restoration, or that wants something from God, but there's a little area of my heart that is crying out to God, but not all of it. Not all of it. There's not a holistic longing after God. There's just a little area. And that we see here in the hearts of the Israelites. Man, they got excited. Yes, God is going to give us something. And we're starting to pray. Remember, they were taken out of their land because they forsook God. They moved away from him. They didn't call upon his name. Not with a pure heart. And the moment they're in exile, all of a sudden, a prayer arises. Lord, we want to go back to our land. Not, Lord, we want to go back to you. We want to go back to the land that we are familiar with. And you'll see that in the context that we're living in as well. A lot of people calling upon the name of the Lord, but not for the sake of being with him or knowing him more intimately or seeking his purpose in this time. But Lord, please take us back to normal. Please just allow COVID to pass. This is disruptive for me, for my household, and I want things to go back to normal. You're with me. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for that or we shouldn't long for that. But hopefully that's not the main cry of our hearts. Lord, take me back to normal. But take me to you, Lord. May I know you deeper, understand you better. Follow you more earnestly. May that be the cry of our hearts. And for those of us that's been in church a while, in small group, unfortunately, we've seen this. Unfortunately, we've been those people sometimes. But someone comes in and all of a sudden you're like, yes, man, this family member or friend of mine, he has a zeal for God all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. And then all of a sudden when you prayed with, with him or her for more than three times, you realize, okay, they want something. It's this thing that's just dominating and that's just preoccupying every single thought and every single prayer and the reason and motive behind every single thing. The marriage fell apart, Lord, and I'm, I'm serving you now, man. I'm, I'm investing because I really desire for you to heal my marriage. Oh, God, you know, here I am. I'm serving because I really want that future husband or that future wife. Oh, I lost my job, Lord, and I really pray that you would just make a way where there is no way. And again, not bad desires to have, but unfortunately we see as it plays out the same with the Israelites, the same with us sometimes. The moment the marriage is healed or the marriage doesn't work out at all, or the moment that future husband or wife arrives or the moment that next job opportunity comes, gone. Thank you, Lord. I received what I came for. And I will call upon you again if needed. And we do that many times. And again, it's revealed to us through our own prayer lives as well. Many times we are unaware of the fact that we are doing it with the wrong motive or the wrong intent. But when we examine the content of our prayer lives, we will soon find out, okay, now wait, there is a, a something that dominates it more than it should. Well, lack of prayer life shows the same. If there's nothing I'm praying about, it's because I don't need something at the moment, but I also don't desire to really be close and near to God and live out his purposes for my life. And I want to just say to us here this, this evening, that if you feel condemned tonight, don't. Because inevitably will be certain things that God shows us, that God points out, but he wants us to bring that to him so that he can refine that. So that it's a pure heart calling on his name. So that he can do the work in and through our lives. And also inevitably, just like the Israelites, 
whenever we draw near to God mostly, it is from an unpure heart. It's from a divided heart, the heart that seeks something. And if we don't cause that tension in our own lives, the love of God will. If he sees us passive or stagnant or moving away from him, he will send the fire so that we call out again. And hopefully in the calling out, there's honesty and there's repentance and refining comes so that we can move closer to God. But if we don't produce the own turmoil in our lives, God will send the test and tribulation to draw us closer to him. But just to explain to us again this principle of what we can learn and see from our prayer lives, just like we see here from the Israelites, all of a sudden they're calling out to God because they want something. We look in Luke, uh, we look in Luke, we see in Luke, chapter 6, verse 45, the following. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And we also read in James 4, verse 2 to 3, you can go and read that at your home, but it says you, you do not have because you do not ask. That's the reason you don't receive. It's because you don't ask. And he says, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask so that you can spend wrongly on your own passions and pleasures. So if you don't desire something, you don't ask God. And that's the reason why you don't have and you don't obtain. And if you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And again, God is not saying that to Christianity in general. He's speaking to a certain group of people. But here we can see through our prayer lives and through the conversations we have with people, our hearts is revealed, the desires that we have. The motive behind those desires is also revealed. See, as we speak to men, we show what's in our hearts. And as we speak to God, the same is also revealed. You know, a simple example, who have spoken to someone that has rugby in their hearts? Yes, yes. It comes out. Regularly, it comes out. They speak about that. You know, that is why it should be the easiest and the most natural thing for Christians to make Christ known. Why? Because he should just overflow from our hearts. Just everything in us. Just overwhelmed and consumed with Jesus Christ. And it should be the simplest and easiest thing to just speak about. Him. It should happen so naturally as we just make Christ known. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And many times when people come and address certain things in our own life, I don't know if that, that has happened to you, whatever side of the situation you might have found yourself but you go to someone or someone comes to you and say hey brown this thing in your life it's out of line with with god's word this fruit that you are bearing it's not godly fruit it needs to be repentance we need to address that so that there can be growth you respond but you don't know what's in my heart it's like now if i've spoken to you for an hour now i have a pretty good idea because it came out of your mouth of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We do not wear our hearts on our sleeves. We wear them on our mouths. Yes. But when you spend time with someone, you'll know what's in their heart. You know the things that they love, that they, they're passionate about. Some unfortunate, some fortunate. You're with me. But we can see what's going on there. And it comes to our desires, and that's why we need to examine our prayer lives. Maybe if you have that list in your head, that we examined in the beginning of the sermon. So we can see there what we desire, because if there's really things that I desire, I will pray about those things. I will lay them down before God. 
and also you know in prioritizing order the thing that i care for much or that i desire most i will pray, pray about most also pray about it first just something that consumes me that i really want and i really desire then also in the area of trust faith dependence if i really have faith in god and i really have a dependence upon god in a certain area then i would pray about that area like i said it convicts me many times and i need to examine my own prayer life if there is a week where i'm not ministering that sunday and my prayer life decreases calls for repentance and it has happened often Lord, now that I see that I don't need to minister before people, now I don't pray so much because I don't have that dependence. Then I need to repent before God and saying, Lord, I'm dependent each and every day for the grace and mercy of Christ on my life. As I am a Sunday that I need to go and preach or minister to people. Then repentance needs to happen. But where I have faith and where I have dependence upon God, prayer will be there. What we care and what we love in this life should be seen through our prayer lives. But it goes together with faith and dependence. And the sad reality is, I think, in our culture and, and what we've realized or what we've been taught is that prayer is just this, just this thing that we do. But we don't realize the power and the value of it. And very few people have actually seen God working in mighty ways. Because we're so busy and, you know, the, the way we pray and the things that we pray for, we, you just do because, okay, this also might help, so let me try it as well. But there's no, like, understanding the power of prayer and my faith placed in God. You know, me and Robin, we went away for this week and we had a, a external elders from Shofar just ministering to us this week as well. And they forced us, you know, for half of each day to just go and sit and pray or sleep. That was the two options. You can go sit in the garden and pray or you can go and sleep, but you're not allowed to do anything else. And, you know, and Robin also said, you know, yeah, the second time you're like, yeah, but is God going to say something else now? What's, what's going to happen? And every single time, God just comes and shows and reveals and you need to repent and lay stuff down and bring to God's feet. And also come to the conclusion, when we are too busy to pray, we think we can do it better than God can. But if we understood the importance of prayer, if we really have that conviction, if we really have that revelation about what happens when we pray, man, we will do it often. And those things need to align together. The easiest example, which is quite a convicting example sometimes, but a good one nonetheless, your marriage. If you really care about your marriage and you really believe God works through prayer, then you should pray often for your marriage. Are you with me? That makes sense. If I really believe God works through prayer and I really love my wife and care for my marriage, then I should be devoted to prayer for my wife and my marriage. You see, if there's no prayer for your marriage or for your wife or for your husband, then you either believe that God doesn't really work through prayer. That's why if I say that I love and care for my marriage, then I either think God doesn't really work through prayer or I think I can do it on my own. All of them, not a good place to be. By the way, if you're wondering. But it reveals something of hearts. But if I really believe God works, and if I really care, then I pray. Same with the lost. If you really have a heart for the lost and you really believe that God's hand is not too short to save, man will pray for the lost. It just needs to align together. Prayer reveals these things about our hearts. Public and private. Same with our worship. If you only pray and only worship in public, 
and you don't do it in private, then you are living for the praise of people instead of the praise of God, the acceptance of God. Like Jesus says, most of your prayer life, go and shut the closet door, go into your inner room. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. But if it's only a public thing, then there needs to be certain examination of our hearts. And that takes us to the first point, the only uncomfortable point for tonight. Prayer reveals our hearts. Prayer reveals our hearts. And again, it's human. But human is fallen, sinful, and selfish. And we do this many times. And it's okay to start there now. Explain that now. And there's a beautiful illustration that just you know, ties this beautifully together. It's a guy that said in the 1940s uh, or in the 1900s somewhere, they wanted to remove prayer from schools in America. They've tried to do so in a couple of different countries and Christianity from schools and, and et cetera. But that specific time when they wanted to remove prayer from schools, the guy said, no, it's impossible. And he said, why? And he says, as long as there are math tests in schools, there will be prayer in schools. You with me? Man, when that math test comes and you look at it, you're just like, God help. Please just carry me through this one. I promise next time I will study. And it doesn't happen, but nonetheless, it just reveals our hearts. Same with World War II. People going into war and the believers just had this confidence and assurance. And the people said, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you not stressed? Why are you not worried? And they say, no, we believers, we, we saved. We believe in God. Death is, a, death is not a, a bad thing. It's not something that we are concerned about. But it's actually one of the benefits of war. Death for Christian, a benefit of war. If we can go and be with our maker sooner, then that is fine with us. And the people started you know, taunting them and saying, oh, you're stupid, you're foolish, and whatever the case might be. But everybody reported that when the bombs started dropping, even the unbelievers started to pray. Lord, save us. Just reveals the heart of man. When we call out to God, same so with this situation here in the Israelites. Now, the thing that we have to realize and examine as well, Scripture says in 1 Peter 3 verse 12, you can go and read that at home, 1 Peter 3 verse 12, it says that God listens to the prayers of the righteous. God listens to the prayers of those who appear in heart. But he turns his ear away from the unrighteous and from those who are not upright in heart. Same with Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can go into the dwelling place of God? Who can stand in the assembly? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then when I look at what prayer reveals about my own heart, then before I view it through the lens of the gospel, the conclusion is then I shouldn't bother praying because I don't have a pure heart. I'm not a righteous person. So God's Ears will be closed towards my prayers. But just to explain to us that each and every one of us will initially draw near with that sinful heart, will draw near with that thing that seeks the hands of God before we seek the heart of God. And it's through that that God actually does a work in us. And if we don't produce that bad experience or that unfortunate circumstance, if we can call it that ourselves, God will send trials and tribulations our way. So that we can call out again, yes, and initially not from a pure heart, but he does a work in that calling out that refines so that he can actually answer our prayers. And I'm going to show you to that in a moment, but all of us can identify with that. 
You know, we've heard that testimony. When the business failed, when the marriage failed, when this went that way, when these things happened, same with my life. Now, when I was at the lowest low, then I called out to God from a sinful heart. A heart that seeks restoration primarily. It seeks something primarily. And in that, God comes and changes my heart by grace. And the same is true for the people that find themselves in Jerusalem again. Zechariah 13, verse 8 and 9. 20 years they've been back after captivity. And again, they're busy doing the same things that led them to be taken captive. And listen to the gracious words of God. I know that at first it doesn't sound that gracious. But just listen to this. Verse 8, I will come, it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. That means that they will, they will be killed, they will die. But the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. Listen to the result. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. As they go through that fire, as God sends that circumstance again, again, the result is a people calling on his name. And in the calling, God does a refining. And the result is a people that know that God is their God and that they are his people. And he himself, God himself, sends that. Like I say, it sounds so harsh. But what if God never sent the fire and they never called on his name? That would be unloving. But a beautiful and gracious thing when God removes the things that we cling to, when God removes the things that we find our hope and our security, and when he removes them so that we can call out unto him and that we can see what we have in Christ alone. That is the grace of God. That is the love of God coming to discipline his people so that we might not perish eternally, but be with him forever. And I want to say this for us as Christians, if we are maturing as Christians, then we don't wait for the fire to come. Don't do that. Don't wait for the fire to come. Draw near to God. Bring your heart before God. Everything in every single part of it, lay it down before God so that he can come and do a work before the fire comes. But the fire will still come. We'll just go through it a little bit more easy. The refining work will be there and the faith will be there and the insurance will be there. And we will go through it a little bit different than the world does. Hopefully, the church shows that differentness in this time as well. When we go through this time of shaking, but we are not shaken. Because we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. My hope, my faith remains fixed because God hasn't changed, even though everything else has. But that has remained fixed. And it looks a little bit different. And like I said, that will happen. But as we draw near to God and as we call out on God, we read in Malachi 3 verse 2 that he is like a refiner's fire. As we draw near to God, like I said, we cannot be close to God and not be changed. He will come and do a work and he will come and purify and he will come and sanctify. Because listen what happens when we draw near to God with a sinful heart. When we draw near to him with a heart that is not pure. When we draw near to him with a heart that is divided. 1 John 1 verse 9. Just after it says we all have sin. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David understood this, Psalm 51 verse 10, just after all of his sin with Bathsheba. David cries out, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Lord, I know that scripture says that I cannot draw near if I don't have a pure heart. And my conclusion is not to go and try and fix myself, but to cry out, Lord, create in me one. Lord, I know that you listen to the prayers of the righteous and I'm coming with an unrighteous heart and I'm praying, Lord, make me righteous so that I can draw near, so that I can come close. But I cannot do it myself. One of the biggest lies the enemy has sold many people today, go and fix yourself and then come to God. Knowing very well that you will never be able to do that. See, Spurgeon said that holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. But you don't become holy and then go show yourself to God and say, look, I made it. We go before God and he says, I will make you. That's how it works. That is the message of the gospel. To draw near with those hearts to allow God to do a work in and through us. He will do it time and time again. It takes us to the second point. Prayer refines our hearts. Prayer refines our hearts. And I hope that something can drop here tonight. That we can understand something about the beautiful message of the gospel. Where God says, listen, I am holy. I'm sinless. I'm pure. I'm an almighty God. And I cannot listen to the prayers of sinful people. I cannot listen to the cries of the unrighteous. So what I will do is I will send my perfect, spotless, blameless son to die for you on the cross. So take all what you've done in this life to carry that sin upon himself so that he can give you his righteousness so that when you call out on my name, I'll be able to answer you. That is the message of the gospel. That God knows that he cannot listen to the prayers of those whose hearts are not pure. And so that when we call out on him by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ, he makes us pure. So that he can listen to us when we call on his name. That is the grace of God. That is the message of the gospel. To understand that each and every time I say, Lord, forgive. Forgiven. Like, do we understand that? Has that dropped in hearts? Not when I repent and show God that I really meant it, he forgives. No. Like Maria said, we are not forgiven because of the purity of our repentance, but the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. He has done it all. That sacrifice was perfect and based upon that, I am forgiven. Based upon that, I'm cleansed and made righteous. God so loved us that he knew when we called upon him, with defiled hearts, he will purify it so that he can listen to us when we call. That is the beauty of the gospel. Maybe understand it like that. When I call upon the name of God, he listens because of Christ. Without that, there is no way. Speaking words into the air. And when the enemy comes and condemns you and comes and accuses you, saying, no, you're praying into the roof, you're not righteous enough. Yes, that's why Christ came. You're not good enough. Yes, that's why Jesus came. If I was good enough, he came for no reason. But we don't make it. But Christ is perfect and based upon that sacrifice, I can call out to God and know that he hears me. And that's why it's also so important that when we draw near to God, we do so with thanksgiving and repentance. To thank him because of who he is and repent of the things that is in our hearts. To do so regularly. But cleanse us, O Lord, creating us, O Lord. So that when we call, Lord, you hear and you answer. That's why it says God opposes the proud. He's physically unable to listen to their prayers because they don't have the humility to ask for grace and for forgiveness. 
So they are not righteous. Their hearts are not pure. Simply because they are unwilling to accept the forgiveness of Christ because they are not aware that they need it. Don't do that. Draw near with humility. Draw near with repentance. So that God by grace can come and cleanse us. And make him, make us more like his son. Another question as well, when we look at these two points, it can also be a bit relative. When I ask, okay, how does my heart look really? And how has my heart been refined really? Especially in the area of sanctification and growth. How do I know? How do I know it's being refined? How do I know it's being formed into the heart of Christ? And the answer is, from a pure heart flows pure deeds. From a righteous heart flows righteous deeds. We begin to follow God, specifically in that order. You're not showing God how righteous I am by my good works, and therefore I'm holy, and therefore he accepts me. No, he's accepted me, and he makes me righteous. He makes me holy, and from that flows good things. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, speaking about that initial sanctification, speaking about the salvation that will be found in Christ, this new thing that God is going to do. And he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. But God says, if he changes the heart and if he pours out his spirit, the result is a new way of living. Not that I will ask you to really try harder this time. I will cause you. The renewal that I bring, the spirit that I pour out, that will cause you to walk in my ways. That will cause you to be careful to obey my rules. We will still fail, but again, when we repent, God will be gracious and forgives, and that place of renewal will come. And it will just flow from our lives. And there it says a heart of flesh, this heart that feels, that cares, that loves. Look at what this heart does in the life of Christ. Matthew 9. I close off for us with this. Verse 36 and 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do what? Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The heart of Christ compelling him to give the command to pray. But the heart will shift and the refining will come and it will lead us to live a little bit different, to pray a little bit different. To not mainly be focused on our own comfort, but the mission of God and the salvation of the lost so that they can come to know Christ. Because we have that heart of Christ that compels us to do that. But it's where it leads to, it's where it drives us to. And the interesting thing, you know, the call or the action point in light of the magnitude of the harvest is not to go, but to pray. Why? Because God knows sometimes we see, okay, there's something I need to do. Let me go. And I think some of us have experienced that. I know that I should go and preach the message of the gospel. I know I should go and make disciples. I know I should go and testify. Man, but it doesn't come naturally, but yeah, I'm just going to go and try. And there's no fruit the result is not as you expected it to be. You become discouraged and you never go out again. It's because we were never sent from prayer. And God never changed our hearts. And the difference is a temporal expedition based upon the wisdom of man versus an eternal fruit because God refined the heart. And the love of the lost was there. 
regardless of how many discouragement and confrontation I need to face, that heart will not change and I will continue to make Christ known. Because that is the heart that God has given me because I'm allowed him to form that when I entered into prayer. That is what we need to do. But from the presence of God, that time of prayer descending will come. That leads us to the last point. Point number three, prayer compels our hearts to action. Prayer compels our hearts to action. You see, because the world has taught us there are certain seasons and times in our lives where we just sit at the feet of Jesus. I many times speak to people and they say, oh, they've, they've taken a little bit of break um, from fellowship. I, I don't kid you. It's literally what people say. I know it sounds foreign to some of us, but they fast in church and small group for a while. I always make the joke, must have happened just after you fasted reading the word and praying. Just a joke, guys. But people come up with these things. We're going to break off from all of these things and and we're not going to serve and we're not going to do anything for Christ because God has really just called us to sit at his feet. And he's been the best year of my life and, and God has just built in and our relationship is just so intimate and so close and I've never experienced God in a way like this before. And scripture says to us and for our benefit that we don't deceive ourselves and that we don't justify ourselves. That is impossible if the sending does not come. It cannot happen that I sit at the feet of Christ and the sending doesn't come. The fruit isn't there to go and make, to obey the words of God. Simply doesn't happen. We see the same in John 10 when Jesus speaks about these people of his, you know, these sheep. And he says, they hear my voice initially. They hear my voice and they come to me. And when he has let out all his own in verse 4, there's a transition from verse 3, from hearing to knowing. And then he says, when he has brought out all his own, they know his voice. And they follow him as he leads them out. But the leading out, that'll be inevitable. Christ will lead. And if we are with him and seated at his feet, it will be a following. Follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you become fishes of men. But that is inevitable. Same as we read in Mark 13 and Jesus called, was Mark 3, Jesus called some to himself to be with him so that he might send them out to preach. It is inevitable. The sending will come. The outflow will come. Because if the heart is truly formed, we must go out. It's like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians um, 5 verse 14. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. We cannot remain silent. We cannot remain seated. It has taken hold of us and we need to go out and to proclaim the message of reconciliation to this world. But it will be inevitable and we will be sent out. And again, when you realize that that is not true of your heart, the you know, result or the thing that you should hear or the action point that you should receive tonight is not to go and try hard now. No, draw near to God in prayer. Allow him to shape your heart. Allow him to commission you in prayer. Allow him to do a deep work so that there can be lasting fruit as he sends you to do what he has called you to do.